All right, second grade parents, welcome back to Raise Ready Kids, where month by month you master the culture building strategies you need to raise kids with the knowledge, skills, character, and purpose they need to thrive. I'm Bill Jackson, founder of Raise Ready Kids and your host this month. We love dogs in my family, and I've been working on training the latest addition to our four-legged crew, a puppy named Miles. He's pretty good with sit and lie down, and on a good day, he can even stay for a few seconds. Of course, the best way to get a dog to do something that you want is to give him something he wants, a treat. Once the dog understands what you want, they are usually eager to do it because they want the treat. You likely sometimes use this same basic technique with your child. They get something they want in exchange for doing something you want. They can play a game on the iPad after they help with the dishes. They can get frozen yogurt after school if they're ready to leave for school on time. They can play with a friend after they do their homework. This is called extrinsic motivation, which is when we're motivated to do something not because we love it for its own sake, but because we want to reward or to avoid punishment. We parents sometimes use extrinsic motivation on ourselves, too. We get to buy something special if we meet our budget for the month, or we get to watch the game after we've cut the grass. In contrast, intrinsic motivation is when people are motivated to do an activity for its own sake. Our child reads a book about sharks because they're super interested in them. They practice piano because they enjoy it. They play video games because they love the feeling of mastering each level of challenge. Behold a kid who is determined to improve their basketball play, or master a video game, or finish a book that has caught their imagination. It's a beautiful sight. Extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation can both be valuable drivers of learning. It's worth thinking about what role each might best play in motivating your child's learning, and in the case of extrinsic motivation, how to leverage it so that you don't inadvertently diminish intrinsic motivation. Research shows that compared to extrinsically motivated learners, intrinsically motivated learners are more likely to tackle challenging tasks, and their learning efforts are more likely to result in conceptual understanding rather than superficial memorization. In school, intrinsically motivated students participate more in class, and they are more curious and creative than extrinsically motivated students. They're also more confident and less anxious about schoolwork. But alas, intrinsic motivation can't always be the fuel of our children's learning for the simple reason that not everything that is important to learn will be fun or interesting to learn. It's hard for our children to develop a broad and deep base of knowledge and skills if they only learn when they are naturally motivated to do so. Their interest might not be sparked by math or writing or learning how to do a household chore, but it's still important that they learn these things. In these cases, extrinsic motivation can be valuable. Your child can play video games only after their homework is done. You give them lots of encouragement, a kind of extrinsic motivation, to try to swim across the shallow end of the pool. They can look forward to a good grade on a piece of writing if they try hard and make progress. When we deploy external rewards, however, we need to be careful to do so in ways that don't harm intrinsic motivation. We need to keep in mind that children's behavior is strongly influenced by three fundamental psychological needs. Autonomy, 
the urge to control one's own life, competence, the urge to experience mastery, and relatedness, the urge to connect with and care for others. When we offer rewards to kids, we want to do so in ways that respect these three fundamental needs. For starters, you want to use rewards only when really necessary, when intrinsic motivation is clearly not present, and then remove the rewards as soon as you can to give room for intrinsic motivation to take root and grow. This way, you're less likely to harm your child's sense of autonomy and control. In addition, it's usually best to provide rewards that relate to process more than performance. For example, reward your child for practicing a musical instrument for 20 minutes, not for meeting a certain standard of play. This approach leaves space for intrinsic motivation to grow to play an increasingly important role in driving children's practice and learning. Given that external rewards are a double-edged sword, it's fortunate that there is a third source of motivation we can tap into beyond intrinsic and extrinsic, which I call learner identity. Children adopt the values and goals of the people who care for and love them unconditionally. They want to be like the people who mean the most to them. This means that if we parents clearly value learning, and if we love our children unconditionally, they'll often naturally absorb the value of learning from us. This truth is our ace in the hole as we seek to raise children who are motivated to learn even when learning isn't much fun and no rewards are offered. To infuse our children with the value of learning, we need to have it in spades ourselves. Then, critically, we need to avoid letting our ambition for them stand in the way of offering the unconditional love that creates the deep bonds and respect that make our child want to be like us. The psychologist Deborah Stipek explains that children internalize the value of learning the same way they internalize other values in their environment. At first, you might have to give your child a lot of encouragement or even a material reward to tackle a particular learning challenge that is not intrinsically interesting to them. Gradually, however, as they see that you are deeply committed to learning yourself, they learn to judge themselves in part by whether they are behaving the way you do. When this happens, your child may finish their homework or tackle an optional math problem because they will feel guilty if they don't. This isn't a particularly inspiring or uplifting emotion for them, but the good news is that this self-judgment is just an intermediate step. Over time, your child is likely to accept as their own the value that underlies the reason they're feeling guilty, the value of learning. At this point, your child will be on their way to becoming the kind of student parents and teachers dream about, a child with an internalized schoolwork ethic these kinds of kids are easy to teach because teachers neither need to make tasks intrinsically interesting, nor do they need to offer rewards or threaten punishment. Kids like these have internalized learner as part of their identity. Learner identity brings many of the same benefits to depth and breadth of learning that intrinsic motivation does. Students who have developed a learner identity might not have quite as much fun as students who are super into that topic that's being studied, but they will be much more engaged and enjoy learning much more than learners motivated by extrinsic rewards. How do you cultivate learner identity in your child? 
That's what this month's Raise Ready Kids strategy called Learner Identity is all about. Learner Identity has three components. One, model engaged learning. Two, love your child unconditionally. And three, praise for effort more than results. Let's start with number one, model engaged learning. The good news is that if you're an engaged learner yourself, your child is already watching and learning from you. Maybe you have a hobby like knitting. Maybe you love a sport like fishing, or maybe you're a big reader. It doesn't really matter as long as your child is seeing bits and pieces of your learning process and the pleasures that you get from it. You might say to your child, Today I started to learn how to knit a sweater, but I was confused by something. Maybe your child asks you what you were confused about. Regardless, you share that at first there was something you didn't know, then you learned it, then you used that knowledge to figure out a problem. Use words and facial expressions to communicate to your child how great it felt to figure out the problem. Crucially, we're not trying to model knowing, but rather learning. We want our child to see and appreciate the process of growing skills and understanding. When you can, invite your child into the process by sharing information with them, asking their opinion about something, or asking them to help you with something. Show them that mistakes are a natural part of the learning process, valued for the information they provide. You know that sweater I'm knitting for Cousin Ella? I made the sleeves too short. Frustrating! But I learned something new with every project. Even better, reach out to a friend to help you figure out a problem. Tell your child you're doing this, and then tell them how your friend helped. They'll see how reaching out to other people for help is a natural part of learning. It helps if you can sometimes share learning that they can relate to in their school experience. You could talk about what you're reading in a way that's accessible to your child. Or you could talk about the simple math skills you're using as you knit that sweater or mount a picture on the wall. Again, the point isn't to show them how much you know, but rather how pleasurable it is to grow in understanding and skills. You may be familiar with the concept of growth mindset the belief that human qualities like intelligence and creativity are not fixed in people, but can be cultivated through effort and practice. The power of growth mindset is that it fosters a passion for learning rather than a hunger for approval. When people with a growth mindset fail at something, they see themselves as learning more than failing. This is the gift you're trying to give your child, to love the process of learning at least as much as the destination. Carol Dweck, the Stanford psychologist who has popularized the concept of growth mindset, says that the best thing parents can do for their children is to teach them to love challenges, be intrigued by mistakes, enjoy effort, and keep on learning. In addition, it's also a good idea to make direct statements to your child about the value of knowing and being able to do things that they are learning in school. It's really important to be able to write well, you might say, or Math is so valuable for life. Your child will learn from your words just as they learn from watching you. Okay, let's move on to part two of learner identity. Love your child unconditionally. Sometimes, in our zeal to impart the value of learning to our children, we parents unconsciously send messages to our children that our love and approval depend to some degree, even just a little, on our children's effort or performance in school or another area like sports. 
few of us would intentionally send this message, but more than a few of us send messages like this by mistake. The irony is that this behavior is not only likely to harm your relationship with your child, it's also likely to undermine your goal of fostering your child's growth and performance. Remember what we said a few minutes ago. To infuse our children with the value of learning, we need to have it in spades ourselves. Then, critically, we need not to let our ambition for them stand in the way of offering the unconditional love that creates the deep bonds and respect that make our children want to be like us. When children perceive our love to be conditional, even just a little, it's likely to reduce their desire to be like us, even just a little. Our children probably won't be able to identify this dynamic even if it's there. To maximize the pull that we exert through our example, our children need to feel in their bones that there is nothing they can do to make us love them more. For example, doing really well in school, because we already love them as much as it is possible for one human being to love another. Similarly, there is nothing they can do to make us love them less, like doing poorly in school, because we will always love them as much as it is possible for one human being to love another, regardless of what they do. As you know, you convey your unconditional love to your child in many direct and subtle ways over time. In relation to learning in school, you can convey that unqualified support and love by expressing interest in their ideas and respecting their point of view. For example, whenever possible, take time to answer their questions and ask them about their work in a way that admires and appreciates their efforts and choices. The meditation coach Artie Wu suggests that you also sit down with your child and tell them that there is nothing they can do that will make you love them more and nothing that they can do that will make you love them less. Regardless, you should keep asking yourself, am I sending messages to my child, even if subtly, that might make them think that my love is contingent on their performance? Ask your spouse or parenting partner if they see anything like this. You can't eliminate these behaviors unless you're aware of them. All right, let's move on to part three of the Raise Ready Kids Learner Identity Strategy, Praise for Effort More Than Results. How we praise our children has a big influence on whether they internalize a growth mindset. If we want them to value the learning process above that state of being smart, we need to recognize and praise them for engaging in learning, regardless of the result at that moment. Consider the difference between these two kinds of praise. You have been working hard on those math problems versus I am really pleased at how well you are doing in math. The first statement puts the emphasis on your child and the effort they are making. The second, in contrast, puts the emphasis on you, the parent, and your judgment about how well your child is doing. Listen again. You have been working hard on those math problems versus I am really pleased at how well you are doing in math. Repeated many times over in different contexts, the first kind of statement will foster learner identity much more than the second kind. These are the first two principles of effective praise. Praise for effort more than results, and emphasize what your child did more than your own judgment of what your child did. The third principle is to be as specific and informative as possible. For example, you might say something like, your handwriting has improved. I can really see the difference between the capital and lowercase letters. You put a lot of time into practicing and it's paying off. 
It's also helpful to recognize your child's learning strategies. You tried several ways to do that math problem until you finally got it. Or, I noticed how you practiced that song slowly at first, and then you sped it up. Way to go! You can praise your child with your body language, too, by paying close attention and smiling in response to effort as well as achievement. As Professor Dweck observes, our every word and action sends a message. It tells children how to think about themselves. It can be a fixed mindset message that says, you have a certain skill level and I'm here to judge it. Or it can be a growth mindset message that says, you are a developing person and I am interested in your development. This doesn't mean that we never praise our child for outcomes, of course. It's great to celebrate significant achievements, but we do want to avoid praising outcomes achieved with little effort. That sends our child a message that effort is not deeply valued, or worse, it subtly communicates that we have a low perception of their ability. Finally, we want to avoid praising for speed or perfection. Don't say, wow, you did that so fast, or look, you didn't make any mistakes. This kind of praise can inadvertently send children the message that they better not take anything too challenging for fear that they won't be fast or perfect enough. Vigorous learning is risky, and we want our kids to be comfortable with that level of risk. All right, let's do a quick recap of where we've come today. Typically, people think of two sources of motivation, intrinsic and extrinsic. Intrinsic motivation is generally preferable, but what will motivate your child to learn when they're not feeling it? Thankfully, there's another source of motivation, learner identity. Learner identity arises when your child sees that you value and enjoy learning, and then, because you and your child have a strong relationship, your child comes to love learning just like you. It also grows when you praise your child for effort and process more than results. In addition to being one of the greatest gifts you can give your child, learner identity is one of the best ways you can support your child's teacher and school. Teachers don't need to spend a lot of time motivating students with learner identity. They're already primed to make the most of school. A good school working with a child with learner identity, the sky is the limit. 